Hi, and welcome to the TRU Alumni Podcast, hosted by me, Dustin McIntyre, TRU Alumni Manager and TRU Alumni. I'm joined today by Manoj Jasra, Executive Vice President, Marketing and Chief Digital Officer of Northland Properties. Northland, for those that don't know, is the force behind Sandman Hotels, Moxie's, Denny's, Shark Club, the Dallas Stars, Revelstoke Mountain Resort, and the Kamloops Blazers, to name a few. Manoj graduated from University Caribou of the College with a Computer Systems Operations and Management Diploma in 2002. He has worked for such firms as WestJet, Head of Digital, and Shaw Communications as both Vice President Digital and Vice President Customer Experience. Recently, Manoj was part of the team from Northland to announce the transformative gift from Bob Gillardi and the Gillardi family to Thompson Rivers University to have our first name school here, the Bob Gillardi School of Business and Economics. Welcome to the podcast. Mano Jasra. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, it was great getting to meet you the uh, couple weeks ago at the announcement. Um, what what a day uh, for Kamloops, uh, for TRU, and, and for Northland. Tell us about your experience with that. It was a super special day for everyone. Um, you know what? The donation itself was such an amazing gift from the Gallardi family uh, on behalf of Bob. And he's, he's done such amazing work, not only uh, across Canada, but especially in the interior, which is he calls his hometown. So I felt especially proud uh, being a part of that moment and being an excellent alumni. I hadn't been on the campus for about 20 years and to see the growth of the campus over the 20, last 20 years and feeling like I was part of the company that uh, provided that donation, it just made it extra special. Uh, and uh, the whole moment was exciting. And I think it just opens and unlocks amazing doors for students to come for generations. Absolutely. Yeah, the Northland group, uh, and more specifically, the, the Gillardi family has really been engaging in some of the most important philanthropic work in BC in the past years. You know, they supported Royal Inland Hospital's new patient care tower, BGH and UBC Hospital, and now, of course, the latest gift. Uh, how does that work and those gifts impact your work at Northland? Yeah, I think it's actually quite interesting how um, the impact it's had, right? In terms of the number of uh, individuals, number of patients, and number of students that these donations will impact, it'll have a profound impact for for decades to come. Um, I think as an employee of Northland and getting to see it happen in first light, I think we're just so proud of the organization and we're proud that we're a part of it. Uh, I think the excitement that's built up over the number of years that as employees, we get to participate in this and see firsthand the amount of impact it has on 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 citizens in, in BC, where we have headquarters here as well. It's been fantastic. And in, from a morale perspective, um, you know what? COVID has had massive impact on our business as well. It has boosted morale significantly as well to know that we're thriving and we're able to make donations like this as well. Yeah, it, it's incredible to see. Uh, a hospitality company um, and, and the family um, continue to support British Columbians. The The unique thing about Northland is they're such a big company with such a huge portfolio, grassroots company, you know, started in Vancouver, really blossomed in the interior and uh, British Columbia. And here it is 50 years later, still owned by the family. So what's your interaction with the Glardy family? Are they still very much involved in day-to-day -day operations? What does that look like? Yeah, they're very much involved. And it's interesting how the, from humble beginnings, how humble the family still remains. A lot of the work that's been done in regards to this effort, whether it's donations or just work in regards to the growth of uh, Canadians and, and the amount of impact they've had on businesses, it's in a, bit, in a very humble way. And not all 
leaders like that and people who own companies are 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 made that way in how their character is. And um, they participate heavily in in the organization still, um, and they they play a role day to day. They play a role strategically, and they all have impacts in regards to whether it's Mitch who looks after the UK side, Devana who looks after design, uh, Andrea who looks after more philanthropic work, and Tom who's the CEO who's running the day to day operations, and Bob still very much involved as well. It's it's actually cool to see and having uh, first line access to all of them to participate like that as well. Yeah, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, different facets of the family. How big is Northland Properties? Uh, how many employees? Where are you situated? You said UK, you know, obviously here in British Columbia. Where else is Northland? Yeah, Northland is uh, is everywhere. Uh, we primarily in uh, Canada, though. Uh, we're headquartered in Vancouver, British Columbia. We're uh, sitting in Kitsilano right now, where we are today. Uh, I think at our peak, we're around 13,000 employees. I like to say we touch around um, 10 million Canadians in our peak, kind of pre-COVID, and we'll get there again, which is a big deal. But we've we started to build operations and footprints in other parts of the world as well, like in Texas, specifically where the Dallas Stars are. We've got restaurants, especially Moxie's there as well. And we've got uh, Sandman with Sandman Hotels as well as new ones to come. We've got a footprint in now in Florida and, and Miami with more to come there as well. And then in the UK and Ireland, we've got hotels, uh, Sandman Signature. We've got a chop steakhouse as well as Shark Club there. And the most recent purchased uh, in 2019 was Port Marnock, uh, which is a resort and a golf club. And it, uh, it sits on kind of the coast of Ireland in one mile stretch. And it's a wonderful resort that uh, was recently acquired as well as a part of the family. Yeah, that, that's, that's incredible. It, it's so it's awesome to watch this company grow and blossom. And, and what's it like to manage so such a big portfolio? You know, you got to deal with brands in Florida and Ireland and Texas and Kamloops. Um, that's such a different, you know, people want different things. Customers in Ireland maybe don't respond well to a Moxie's or I'm making it up here, mm-hmm. but, you know, talk <laughs> me through what does that look like? How do you test the waters in such a diverse uh, background? Yeah, it's, it's super complex. It's one of the most complex roles that I've had um, because you're dealing with seven or eight brands across three or four different countries. And therefore, you're right, the consumer segments are very different. The needs of the consumers are very different. So, But what we like to do is make sure we have a kind of a, a silver lining that ties it all together, which is like really great guest experience, brand standards that meet expectations, whether you're Moxie's in Canada or Moxie's in the US, for example. And I attribute success here primarily to the team that we've built here as well. Uh, there's no way by myself that I'm by any means even a big part of this. I think it's the team and the leaders behind me that are supporting and obviously my peers across the board. Uh, the way I've set up marketing and digital to support that many companies is uh, we've got people who live, eat, and brand, breathe that brand. Uh, for example, I've got Fiona who looks after the hotel side, Sydney who looks after Moxie's, and Alex who looks after Denny's and so on and so on. And that way they, they focus on that brand collaborating. So if, you, if I look across, I've got a window here, I look at my team over here, they're, they're sitting side by side. So it's very cool how they're collaborating across the brands, uh, but they've got focus on the one company that they work for, but they look for opportunities to scale. So when someone does something with hotels, why not partner with something in restaurants because it's just uh, organic to do so. And that way um, I think, we can scale because I think with the with the Gallardis and Northland, they continue to want to invest and grow. And we're continuing to look for new talent to join the company and scale this organization because marketing and digital is going to be a, a really important part of the business for, for a long time. 
Absolutely. Um, and, you know, COVID really changed the world. And, you know, we're relying more and more on digital technologies, apps, podcasts, and of course, screens. Obviously, the hospitality industry relies so heavily on face-to-face interactions. Northland, more than most companies, need people in seats, beds, or in the stands. So how did you transition? And what is the future of digital for Northland? It was it was like the craziest times. So I started in 2019, late 2019. Um, and therefore, about four months later, COVID was basically upon us at that point as well. So it feels like my entirety of my career at Northland has been inside of COVID. But we took full advantage of it to make sure that we were ready coming out of the gate uh, to, so, to make sure the business was thriving. And it feels like this. If I look at the results today, we're in a much better state than we were in kind of two years ago at this time. Um, so digital was an important fast, as, aspect of that. So if I look at the hotel side, we took the time, even though our business was struggling, we had mass layoffs as well. We took the time to invest into technology for, for hotels specifically. We built a a brand new um, website, set of websites for Sandman Hotels, the UK side and our Sutton properties as well. Uh, we also enabled a new booking engine and e-commerce capability. And that was both for uh, direct bookings on online as well as for the contact center. And I think the coolest thing we did was we built a, a loyalty platform called RSVP Rewards, which allowed us to integrate five legacy hotel platforms, which have been around for 40, 50 years and digitize it. And I think that was cool because that allows us to set us up for major partnerships and growth and improving our customer lifetime value down the road. On the restaurant side, it was a different game. Uh, everyone went to online ordering and uh, that was the only way to survive. And I'll, maybe I'll just caveat online ordering, even though it was great, doesn't make up for the fact that people aren't dining in. There's no way it can. But that's the way we were surviving with deals associated with that and making sure we were getting good reach. And I remember a project we did for Denny's where we were able to implement an online ordering platform within three weeks. Um, it was in early April, May of 2020 and make sure that Denny's was off to the race in regards to online ordering very, very quickly. And one of the cool things that happened was I think it actually switched the paradigm in regards to how fast we can make decisions, even as a large company. Um, I think that's one of the biggest advantages we have in addition to being private uh, COVID has really taught us that speed at we're making decisions aligning for entrepreneurial uh, type ideas and making sure that they're well vetted. I think that's that's really changed us in how we how we operate, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many different brands and everyone needs their own tailor-made uh, solution. So it sounds like you mentioned the job's very complex, but it sounds like you guys are thriving uh, in that challenge. Uh, your education from Thompson Rivers University is in computer science but you've pivoted to hospitality and marketing in your career. How did your time at TRU help you uh, with that? Yeah, even though I, I'm in marketing and digital and my, I remember back in the labs, I was doing development from all sorts of old school languages from C++ to Pascal to Cobalt and things like that, things that might not be fully relevant, but what it taught me was a few things. I really learned how much effort and hard work it took to survive because it felt like even though you've got peers in in, in your in your group and your curriculum that you're working with, like it's a bit of competitiveness, right? You wanted to be the best in your, in your, in your peer class as well. So that was, it taught me a bit of that. I remember long nights, several of them, uh, where we would spend the lab, night in the lab, right? Because we we're working on an assignment that was due the next day or the next day. And these were very, very complex assignments. So it taught me that computer science is very, very analytical and logical. And I think that's grown that part of my kind of uh, core character quite quite effectively. Even as I pivoted out of um, 
school, the first thing I got into after soft, doing software development for a year or two was into digital analytics, which also is very, very obviously logical. So I think what it taught me because of that foundation of hard work, thinking of things analytically, and that slight competitiveness factor, it allowed me to carry that forward into roles that I've had. And I always, um, as I got into, especially I remember at WestJet, where uh, digital required a big technology kind of mindset, I was able to have really good conversations with the technology teams, knowing that I had that software coding background. And that gave me a, a pretty good leg up uh, headed into business as well. Yeah, that's that's awesome. What do you have some fond memories of your time here? Uh, you know, you mentioned you stayed overnight a few times, probably in the old main labs. Old main, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, campus is a lot different. It's a lot smaller uh, 20 years ago. But what do you remember about TRU uh, fondly? Yeah, I, I remember... Uh... I remember like the intramural sports, like as a, we, we were, uh, my class was only around 25 people because you're in that kind of this core group. I think only like eight people graduated in terms of how tough the actual course was as well. You had to maintain a pretty strong GPA. But I remember just those people actually became family for me for that, those two, two and a half years. And I remained in touch with so many of them. I actually went, uh, I remember we just went white water rafting with one of my friends who I graduated with, but sports uh, going out after, going out after for the clubs out later on as well that like we just spent so much time together I spent more time with those folks than I did with my family for those two and a half years and that's pretty incredible and we got to know each other we grew up together and a lot of those people are are important parts of my uh, social network as we as we go forward as well absolutely you'll be happy to know that uh, old Jim has not changed at all since your time here it's <laughs> oh, yeah. probably exactly the same uh, you mentioned sports so you must uh, be a hockey fan uh, in the portfolio there's two hockey teams Obviously, both are performing uh, really well this year. What What are your perspectives on the Dallas Stars in the playoffs and uh, the Blazers? Yeah, I think the cool thing is that um, being part of the Northline family, you basically become a Dallas Stars and a Camels Blazers fan by by default. And uh, the, I think another fun fact is that we get to, as even a marketing group, even the sports teams, because they're the NHL and WHL, get to are about an arm's length away because they have their self-managing teams. We get to integrate with them in cool marketing activations. I think they're going to both do very well this year. And uh, I, I think it's such a cool opportunity to get to discover and participate in an area I love. I love sports. I love the NBA. I love NHL. But it's cool that we get to participate in some of that activity as well. Yeah. So do you get to go down to Dallas uh, every once in a while and catch a game in the owner's box or... Well, we have the opportunity once in a while. We leave that to paying fans as well. Uh, but there's no, <laughs> that's important. But I, there's opportunities. I think that's a cool part of this role that because our, our brands and our actual, their physical properties in so many different locations, getting to, getting to go down to these places, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Toronto, or whether it's all the way to Halifax, I get, uh, getting to experience that, understanding what our, what our teams are up to there firsthand. I think that's a very cool aspect of all of our roles. Tech and digital marketing has been dominated, fo dominantly focused on cities like Toronto and San Francisco. What's kept you in Western Canada? You've been in uh, Kelowna, Calgary. Now you're in Vancouver. Uh, what's that like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So when I graduated in the early 2000s, um, I believe that's when the tech bubble popped. So that was, so it's like we were excited to get into the field only to find out that is this thing for real or is it just fizzled out actually? So that was in obviously heavily into Silicon Valley, but it was very quick where uh, that turned around. So in 2002 to 2005, that turned around very quickly, but you're right. The, a lot of the 
volume of roles were in that time, probably because Microsoft and Amazon are based in Seattle. Uh, they have bases there. I think that's that's pretty important there. I think Microsoft might be Bellevue. But, and then the Silicon Valley and San Francisco areas, obviously tech was hot there. Toronto wasn't as hot as it is now. Like in the last, I would say five to seven years, Toronto has become the capital of tech and digital marketing. And that might be the case for anywhere in North America for that matter. Uh, what's kept me in, in Western Canada has been my family roots uh, because that's what's important to me. Uh, I've always wanted to just be an hour flight, no matter what, away from my parents who always have kind of situated themselves between Revelstoke, Kelowna and Kamloops. And I don't know, I, I love the West. I think even though there might not be, say the volume opportunities, the quality of companies is fantastic. Um, like the three companies that I've worked at have been fantastic over the last kind of 20 years. Uh, 20 years of even the agency number four uh, with Shaw, with WestJet, now with Northland and the agency that I used to work at. Uh, therefore, I've always kind of had this internal uh, desire to make sure that the companies that I worked for in the West were as good as any company that was work, that was in the East as well, regardless of what they're doing. And I think some of those times we were able to accomplish that as well. Yeah, you certainly chose some some great companies, real pillars of Western Canada. It's awesome. Um, you have some very legacy brands in Sandman and Denny's and Moxie's. How do you attract new customers uh, to these brands? How do you stay relevant in a time where Skip the Dishes really popular now and, and you guys want, you know, as you said, people to come to the restaurant? What are you doing to draw people in? Yeah, if I look at something like Denny's, which is definitely an iconic brand, has existed for a number of years, obviously has a massive footprint in the U.S. So we own the master rights in Canada. I think there's over a thousand stores in the U.S., so it's a big deal. And Canada, we have close to around 70 actual physical restaurants. But with Denny's, um, obviously, the, if, if people, when people think about Denny's, they think about diner and they think about probably an older demographic. And they all probably think about a place to go out after the bar kind of thing. Like that's those are the three things that come to mind. And what we're looking for is opportunities to uh, attract a different segment with a few different things. Um, we believe that there's this nice segment in, uh, in families that could attract themselves to Denny's because Denny's can be convenient. It's high quality and we need to prove that it's high quality in terms of the food that we deliver. And I think there's an opportunity to even show that um, it's a place that people can go to with different types of groups, whether it's just like whether it's a, a couple of family or you know, a set up group of families, whether it's for brunch, lunch or dinner. Uh, so we're going to improve the menu in a big way over the next couple of years. I think that's an opportunity. I know in a couple of years sounds like a long time, but if you think about the supply chain, trying to roll it out over 70 restaurants, getting the U.S. aligned with it, I think that will be opportunistic for us as well. And I think in the, in the kids area, I think we're going to do something exciting there to compete with the, the Happy Meals out there, uh, the White Spot, Pirate Ship and things like that. I think that's a huge opportunity for us as well. On the Sandman side, um, yeah, it is a, is a, is a legacy brand, but I would say that stuff that we've built with Sandman Signature over the last number of years, it's as good as anything out there, especially in the kind of like the three to four star caliber uh, hotel. Uh, we've tried to add value by putting brand name restaurants like Moxie's and Sandman's and Chops to it each time we do it. I think we, when we look at our leisure specific audience, uh, I think people love the fact that we're in all over Canada. And we provide a consistent experience and we've got kind of great pools and things like that and amenities. And I think another way that we're going to try to win is with this RSVP rewards platform as well. Uh, I think that will be an amazing opportunity for you to not just stay with us and enjoy our hospitality, but to earn rewards at the same time and allow you to use those reward points across really, really cool opportunities on the road as well. 
Um, and I think as a, as a, as a digital team, along with our operations team, we're heavily investing into our guest experience, our customer experience, to make sure that every touch point is gonna be fantastic. So we might not be perfect today, but our, our job, and where I, I have a session this week where we're focusing on improving every touch point, and that's a, that's a huge part. And that's why our, I think customer experience and digital experience really start to intersect each other. Yeah, that's a, a good transition. I, I wanted to ask people, don't trust digital as much as they used to. They don't trust Facebook. They don't trust pop-up ads. How do you get in front of new loyal or new customers and loyal customers in a, a valued way where they can trust what you're saying and, and, and believe the message you're trying to get across? Yeah, I think the simplest answer to that question is it's giving up information, which every marketer is looking to get from a consumer requires a value exchange. So if you're providing a value exchange that's reasonable to a customer, whether you're giving them a, a discount to something, a exclusive activation into something, or early insights into something, or even if it's just, you know what, if you, uh, we'll give you future value later on. I think a, a consumer is more likely to give up information knowing um, that they're gonna get value out of it. And I think a consumer is more uh, willing to give up information if they know it's used in a very secure manner and it has a purpose related to it, not that you're just doing it to go share it with someone else down the road as well. So uh, maybe I'll add a bit more to that. I think more than ever before, because the of privacy laws and how expensive digital marketing will become, because that's the, the norm for where everyone spends money, I think having a one-to-one -one relationship and growing your own consumer database is more important than ever before. And we have had this strategy over the last couple of years of growing our databases in terms of our insight into customers across our various touch points across the world. And I think it's gonna be proven to be a very important strategy for us long-term. And therefore we can tailor the experience that we have directly to our consumer rather than having to play to play, pay to play across all the digital mediums that exist down the road. So I think the value exchange is spot on there. If you have that equal value exchange, someone feels like they're getting something back, then they'll be more loyal to you as well, instead of the, the brand always taking and taking and taking. And I think you guys have done a good job with that. I think the RSVP rewards that you talked about is really pivotal. You see some of the bigger brands moving into the digital reward experience, but really providing something of value. And I think Sandman and the whole suite uh, of the restaurants can, can provide something uh, special there. I think that's really neat. Um, do you see a future in apps? Do you think it's all on websites? Where do you want to see um, your customers uh, living the Northland experience? Yeah, I, I think apps are fantastic, um, especially if you can create an experience where uh, the experience allows a consumer to engage with you several times. But apps can be very expensive too. Uh, I think if I look at my, and, and obviously people set up their phones very differently. I try to put everything important to me on like the first page and then so on, so on. It's almost like a Google search results, right? The, the first screen is the most important to me. And some people organize it by obviously groups of buckets and things like that. But there are obviously 99% of the apps out there are probably not used versus the 1% are they use, right? We all use probably the same apps and the other 99% aren't used that often. But there's obviously a happy medium in there. So I remember when we were building the WestJet app uh, years ago, I, I was, we were having this discussion with the IT leader at the time. And the suggestion was to just build like a flight status app it did, because we were late to the game when we were launching it. And I, I suggested we didn't, I suggested, why not build something that would be activated every moment? So the app would allow you to check in. The app would allow you to 
be used as your boarding pass. The IL app would allow you to use as in-flight booking, obviously the experience afterward and rewards. And that's what a bed should be to be. If you use the app today, what should app? That's what it is today, which is fantastic. And therefore I think when consumers, sorry, when companies look at building mobile apps, I think they have to look at what is the engagement and is going to look like, or are you going to build something that's going to get used once every stay and it might even get deleted because it might not get used the number of times that it actually requires. And apps can be expensive, like I talked about. So the ROI model, the engagement model, and having a really strong roadmap of how are you going to implement things along the way uh, so that the app continues to be engaging. I think that's heavily important. Uh, I think people kind of think that sometimes that you may launch an app and you might kind of set and forget about it. And that's just not the app atmosphere. Apps have to be ongoing it's a living and breathing product and i think investment is um, is important both in terms of effort you and time and resources you put against it but it's it's a long-term investment not just a single thing that you're going to just put up in the app store and impact it and have it uh, work wonderfully for years yeah that's uh, we launched an app uh earlier this year as well and that was our model too is we have lots of different things on there but what's going to be used regularly and we thought discounts would be our, our you know our loss leader there we get people in there and actually activate their discounts and then see what other options we have in there whether it's our alumni owned database or it's you need a new transcript or you want the news or this podcast uh for example so how do we get people to activate that app over and over again and i think you've you nailed it spot on um, is there uh, apps right now or the RSVP reward is an app system? Are you guys doing digital and transition into that? Where, where are we at? Yeah, we went actually with a responsive format to begin with, a responsive mobile web format, uh, primarily because it, the current RSVP platform is purely, it's an account management platform. It shows how much points you've got and where you can burn and things like that, uh, redeem. And, but I believe there is a home for an app down the road for us, especially when we start integrating other brands of ours into the RSVP rewards ecosystem and other partners into the ecosystem. I think that's because we have points as our base currency. I think that'll unlock interesting things where we can do things from a reciprocal perspective down the road. And I think where modern, really, really modern hotel companies have gone where the mobile app is your room key. I think that's interesting where along our guest journey, the mobile app could eventually do that as well. But it's going to take a bit more time as we start to build RSVP rewards greater than it is today. But I do think an app is an interesting idea for us down the road as well. Where do you see Northline property in uh, 2023? And where do you see them in five years from now? What is, what's the future? I think uh, when I look at what Tom is up to, I think he's still looking for heavy growth. Um, you would think that coming out of uh, the pandemic that hospitality might not be the best place to bet on, but you can tell how quickly the minds of people have shifted in regards to how, pe how fast people back went back into the sports events, the restaurants, back to traveling. And therefore, I believe in the next five years, we're going to heavily invest into more hotels and more, more uh, restaurants uh, in terms of the scale of what we have today and make our resort properties even uh, broader than they are today. For example, in, in Revelstoke, um, there's a golf course going in, there's gonna be more hotels, there's a restaurant going in. So Revelstoke will turn into a kind of a Whistler style place versus just a, res a resort with, a, with the skiing aspect of it. Great, well Manoj, I don't wanna keep you any longer. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for joining us today on the TRU Alumni Podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with the podcast going forward. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the TRU Alumni Podcast. This episode was hosted by me, Dustin McIntyre. 
Technical Productions by Dustin McIntyre and Andrew Skopenko, recorded at Thompson Rivers University in sunny Kamloops, British Columbia, on the traditional territory of the Kamloops Dishiklepnik peoples.